This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that, of course, means that you are listening to another episode of the Crown Cast. And it's a Wednesday cast, and we are in a much better mood, I think. There is, there is a reasonable argument that we are in a better mood. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily have to be a good mood. We still have to talk about a loss. Um, we went back. We did some thinking about it. We, we germinated on it. We considered it. We, we, we thought about it as we had our afternoon tea. And uh, like all of uh, the great thinkers in the world, which I think we can safely include ourselves in, uh, we decided it felt bad. So, uh, here to feel bad about this game with me is Justin. Hello, Justin. Hey, Logan. And Josh. Hello, Josh. Hey, guys. Uh, you know, I am a broken human being, and the fact that when really bad stuff happens, I get some sort of sick and twisted joy out of breaking down why the bad stuff happened. Uh, is that, do you guys share that experience? Like, Josh, is, is, is that how you think about it, too? Uh depends on how bad it is it can be cathartic i think that's i think that's the right word uh to do that sometimes um sometimes i do just push it way down and never think about it again that Um, sounds healthy it's not but when you (laughs) the perfect example is uva basketball versus umbc any college basketball fans will understand why i just don't think about that (laughs) uh so justin are you on the push it deep down into the dark place and pretend it never happened? Or are you in the unravel it? No, you analyze it, you pick it apart and you figure out how to not let it happen again. Uh, And then, then if you do all of that and then you realize that there's no way to control it happening again, then you push it down deep inside and hope it never comes up again. I love you, Justin. Always on the (laughs) fence. Um, I'm convinced that stats people who I am starting to think I might be one of, I'm not I'm not like willing to wear that shirt yet. One I'm not willing to like get us. the shirt that says one stats guy us. on it. One of us. <laughs> but I'm I'm starting to think I might be in that camp. I'm convinced that they are all the the people who want to like dig in and analyze in order to get over something bad. But we are going to talk about the St. Louis game. Honestly, to a, a fair amount here, I think there's a lot to get into. First and foremost, we lost the St. Louis game. We did go to St. Louis. Uh, we then actively gave St. Louis three goals and pretty well scored one, which of course means that we get zero points and we make St. Louis feel good about themselves. There is concern. There's concern amongst the fans. There's concern amongst the journalists. Uh, there's concern amongst my friends and family. Uh, oh, wait, they are not concerned for the soccer. Anyway, uh, there's real concern out there. Two games, two losses. Charlotte FC was supposed to come off with their with their new talent, with their you know hot striker in Capetti. And I think we have to discuss, uh, I don't know which one of you it was that brought this forward and called it the panic meter. I know Charlotte FC did it as the panic meter. But uh, let's start with Justin. It, on a scale of 1 to 10, what is your panic meter? 10 being the world is ending, hop into your bunkers, and one being, no, nah, it's all good, man. Yeah, so so we're statifying our uh, outrage and fear, which is great since we're, we're stat guys on the podcast now. Uh, this did come from MLS.com. Uh, they started out and put us at an 8 out of 10, which is uh, ridiculous. 
Um, I am at a much more reasonable and perfectly normal five out of 10, uh, two matches into the season. Um, picking up no points out of this is not how playoff teams start their season. Yeah, it's not great. Josh, you want in on this? Yeah, I'm close. I'm slightly less panicked. I'm at a four out of 10. Um, and I think that's mainly due to as bad as the St. Louis game was, and we'll get into it. The fact that all of those goals were self-inflicted and some of them were fluky as all get out um, has me a little bit, I guess, more hopeful moving forward. I don't think that that's a game that's going to be replicated anytime soon. Yeah, we talked about this. I say we talked about this. We text chatted about this off mic and uh, I started out at a five out of ten. And then I managed to convince myself through my own talking too much that I'm actually at a four out of 10. Um, my concern, first and foremost, is that there are a lot of holes in this team. Uh, you know, we talked about how in the preseason, I wanted to see a successful attack. We saw it in the preseason. We have not seen it in the season except for one time. Uh, but I do feel like a lot of those holes can be filled by very, very talented young players who maybe are ready, maybe aren't ready. But I see a plan to fill those holes. And as a result, I am I am less nervous just because I feel like there's a plan. Uh, how good that plan is, I think that's what we talk about next. Uh, there were a lot of changes for this. Justin, do you want to lead us through the the mass shift of player movement? Yeah. So, you know, in response, I think, to a lot of fan uh, clamoring, maybe, uh, Andre Shinyashiki was brought in in the middle of the park. Carol Swiderski shifted wide right, which is where he finished that New England match uh, as well, uh, or, or uh, played for a while in that New England match. Um, the the more interesting one, I think, was that Derek Jones was brought into the midfield, uh, you know, I think possibly to address that need for an additional sort of defensive screen uh, for our center backs. And Brent Bronico, instead of being dropped, was shifted to the left back position. Um, and some of those changes, I don't know if they worked out as well as Christian Latanzio might have hoped. So I have a thought here, and I'm going to bounce it off you guys. And that is because there was a lot of talk about uh, Joseph Mora making some pretty good tackles in the first game. And obviously... Brant Bronico is preferred here. And I wonder, because my first instinct was, you know, defensively, Joseph Mora did pretty good. But Joseph Mora was also taking a lot of, I'm not going to call them last ditch, but certainly flare defensive maneuvers. I wonder if in the first game, Joseph Mora was not sticking to Christian Latanzio's script. Um, you know, when you look back at it, do you guys see that? Or do you feel like he had a pretty good game, but uh, in this one, they just said, hey, Brant Bronico, I think has the engine to run it. I'll go to Josh with that one. So my gut feeling on this is that um, Christian Latanzio, you know, I, I had some discussions online with some people um, and Christian Latanzio from a left back, he wants to invert the fullback. He is not looking for a traditional fullback that gets up and down the line, overlaps with the winger. 
and puts in crosses. Um, when we go back to last year with Harrison Awful starting in that position, when you go to Moore's first game this year, and when you go to Brent Bronico, what you see is a left back who is filling into the midfield. Um, and I think the switch to Brandt is a sign that Mora is not capable of doing that role, which I'm not sure is surprising. When you look at Joseph Moore and you look at his history, he is a more traditional get up and down the, the line type of fullback. And that is a different role to play. And so I think Latanzio may have been saying, hey, Joseph, you've been a good servant of the club for a year. Um, you are a traditional left back. Let's see if you can do this in a real game. It worked in some ways. It didn't work in others. I think he decided that we have to try something different. Um, and that's why he went with Brandt in that. Because if you're not looking for someone who's just going to bomb up the field, then a, a midfielder putting into that role who then goes into the midfield kind of makes some sense. Yeah, I, I'm going to ask the question here before we get deep in, and that is I'm going to go to Justin. And Justin, I, I think I left that game, and after I settled down, I had to ask myself this. Christian Latanzio is clearly not afraid of making changes. He's clearly not afraid of trying something new to see if he achieves a better result. There is a part of me that says, yes, that's amazing. I want someone who's going to experiment. I want to give him the time to figure the system out. I want someone who says, this isn't good enough. We need to be better. How do I make this better and try stuff? There's another part of me that says, there should be a floor on the things you try, right? You should be willing or you should only try things that, that keep the general structure of the team in competitive places. And I am, I think right now I'm leaning to the side of the fence where I trust Lizanzio. I've, I've talked to him enough to believe he knows what he's doing. And I like that he is willing to chop and change. That he's willing to try interesting things and see if he strikes gold with something that hadn't been considered before. But I do think he's closer to that line than maybe I'd like to admit. Where do you fall on this, Justin? Do you think he's, he's right in chopping and changing and trying things? Or do you think he's getting a little bit too frivolous? I mean, I, I think that there is a time to chop and change uh, and to experiment with different things. And I think that is a time that Josh does not believe in. Because I think that that is, is something that you really should be experimenting a little bit more in your preseason, in your training, that sort of thing. I don't, I don't generally have an issue with, with trying things out. What I have an issue with in this situation is trying it out in the second match of the season. You're not letting stuff sort of settle in. You're not players. You're not letting players settle into the the spot on the field or anything like that. You're you're already chopping and changing, and that means that that you don't know yet who your best people in your best positions are. It took until you know the 88th minute against New England for us to concede, and and it came from you know a giveaway and transition that that bit us. Other than that. You know, I think the, there's an argument to be made that in the New England match, we were more in control in a lot of that match. And to see it change this much, it, it's concerning to me. And I think that it feels wrong to me because I, I think it, it signals to players I don't have faith in 
uh, in the system that we've practiced so far, I'm already making changes. I'm already tinkering and I don't love that feeling this early in the season. I also don't love, and this is something that again, Josh and I talked about off mic. Uh, I don't love, uh, tinkering and chopping and changing in matches where we need points to make the playoffs. And we've gone to matches without any points in situations where we we probably deserved a point against New England. And if we had cut out some of the stupidity against St. Louis, we probably could have gotten points too. All right. On to Josh. Josh, do you feel like too much chopping and changing? Or do you feel like it's it's worth it to try and find the best system? I I'm on the other end of the spectrum from Justin. So I, I am personally I'm okay with the tinkering because this team in general, right? We're a year into this club. Everything is new. And we have so many new players in this squad and especially along the spine of this team. When I look at this team, I look and I say, we have a new striker. We have a new midfielder in Westwood. We have a new uh, center back in Tuoloma. We have a new goalkeeper in Cisniega. In order to find what works best with that spine, I think that you have to tinker. I would also say, I think that the some of the players who played in the first match is a sign of faith from Latanzio, the more is the gains of saying, I know what you did for us last year. I'm going to give you this opportunity. It, it's that balance of how long do you give a, a leash to a player, so to speak, versus how quickly do you change it? I don't know at this moment whether Latanzio has gotten that right. Um, maybe Mora and Gaines and, and other players deserve a few more. Maybe they never deserved it at all. I don't know. I think that's something you can only kind of say when you look back on the, the totality of a season. Um, what I will say is I don't think any of the tinkering that he's done has been crazy and has been so out of the norm that it makes me question what in the world he's doing. To me, there's a, there seems to be a reason behind everything. And as long as the changes are happening for a reason or something that I think is a reason, that I'm fine with. Yeah, I think, and we didn't even talk about this off mic, I think the two of you have pretty much summed up the two arguments in my head. Uh, <laughs> and I, I am personally right now on the fence of, on the side of the fence that is, yes, I want to see you tinker. I want to see you say this isn't good enough. I want to see you thinking about the long-term term success of this club. But boy, it sucks to lose matches. So so it's all in balance. I think one thing we need to talk about here is I think the the loss of Brant Bronico from the midfield, even if he was supposed to be moving into the midfield and joining the midfield, I think the loss of his inherent presence hurt us really, really bad. There are players who, it might not be the nicest term in the world, are called water carriers. They they move the game around. They hold the space while the tricky fancy guy is doing the tricky fancy stuff, right? They're the ones who track runs. They're the ones who put in the hard yards. They're the ones who make the mechanics of the game work. And I don't think I have seen a more clear example of the fact that uh, Brant Bronico might be a load-bearing beam in this team more than moving him to left back. 
because it, it everything felt disconnected. And now I think for me, I'm trying to establish where I see those load bearing beams. And one of them has been Carol Swiderski. No matter where you sit on the Carol Swiderski talks right now, and I think we're going to have some talks about him later on. One of them has been Carol Swiderski. Another one of them has been Brant Bronico. And in the back, it's Adelson Melanda. And before that, it was Guzman Carujo. We just pulled the middle beam out of the team. And depending on how you feel about it, we just pulled the top beam and moved it to the right. So we made it an awkward tripod instead of a nice clean line of support. Uh, interesting to me how significantly that affected this team. Uh, Josh, you want in on this? Yeah, so I have a few thoughts. I first want to give credit to uh, to Ewan, our colleague who's not with us right now. Um, he made what I thought was an interesting point where he, so when we talk about Bronico to the left back and we talk about maybe what that signals in the future, what we're talking about is this idea of him being a left back in name, but when in possession, moving into the midfield to overload that space, to create a box where you really have four midfielders. Um, Ewan made the point where he didn't actually see that happening against St. Louis and his thought, and this is just a speculation on it on his part, but I think it's a smart speculation is that Latanzio might be keeping things kind of simple because of all the new pieces. And so I don't know if we saw the full extent to the idea of Bronico at left back against St. Louis as we might in the future. And to go back to your beam argument, I, I think it's a, I think it's a good analogy, but I think we could be trying to add that beam back in we just didn't see it um, against St. Louis. Again, it's two games. This is a lot of speculation because we just don't have a lot of data points on this. But this idea of... I, I'm, I'm, I'm already to the point, and I was, it, I was last year, and this is sort of fl flying in the face of one of my bold predictions, but it really is becoming apparent that Bronico kind of has to be in this team. I did have a bold prediction that he was going to be not a starter by the time his bobblehead day came. And last year I was wrong about him and already two games in, I'm feeling like that was the dumbest thing I could have said because he does seem so vital to this team at times. Yeah. Uh, Justin, do you want in on Brant or do you want to move on to potentially Carol? No, I mean, you guys have, have eloquently said everything about Brandt. I am concerned about him in the left back role, but I, it's not a concern of him being able to do it. It's a concern of, of his familiar, familiarity or lack thereof of the position. You give him time there, he'll figure out you know, how to play there, how to, how to be effective there, and, and what his responsibilities are, what the balance is. So um, I'm, I'm a little more concerned about this moving Carroll to the right wing because the MLS article that, that marked our panic level in eight of 10 said, Oh, we moved Swiderski a wide right because of a lack of options on the right wing. And that is patently false. Yeah. False. It, it feels Agreed. to me, it looks to me like we moved Carol Swiderski wide to the right because Christian Latanzio and this organization are desperate to keep Carol Swiderski on the field somewhere. And they're they're hoping that they can plug him into a spot and it'll work. Yeah, it, it feels like desperation to me. I'll be honest, we talked about it previously about how, 
you know, uh, I talked with Latanzio in the presser and he kind of said, I still wanted Carroll out there and the right wing was sort of the place he could go. So he went there. Um, the stats are not pretty in this game for Carroll. I, I think that we have, we have looked upon Carroll as a right winger. And despite the fact that he plays an absolutely gorgeous ball in off of his left foot, that does create our goal. It's, it's not great. Um, I have his accurate passes at 12 of 21, which is 57%. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, guys, but he tried to progress the ball forward twice. Is that right? That's what the stats seem to indicate. Yeah. And as a winger, keep in mind, most successful wingers are pretty good passers into the box. Most of them are pretty accurate and good crossers, and most of them are very good at dribbling players one-on-one. Uh, to my knowledge, he did not have a successful dribble. He had one successful cross, and he had no successful long passes. Is that all correct? Yeah. And, and you know, the player who replaced him after 70 minutes had a successful dribble, had an accurate cross, had a key pass, completed 94%, 17 of 18 passes in 20 minutes. You yeah. Know. I, so I think you're leading me into it, Justin, and I have a question here. And that question is, is it Kerwin Vargas's time? Is he good enough? I mean, there's a long-held question in football, and that is, if you're good enough, are you old enough, right? Is what's holding Kerwin Vargas out of this team his skill that still needs to develop? Or is he being seen as a kid who needs to be eased in? Because right now, to me, he looks like our best option. I, I agree that he's our best option at right wing right now. Um, I think that he is more of the complete package than any of the other options that are there. You know, we've talked at length about Mackenzie Gaines and what he brings in. And I do think that Mackenzie Gaines is a valuable player off of the bench. I do think that his pace, especially late in the game, can be very valuable. But we've also talked about the the limitations, the struggles that he has sometimes putting the ball into the box. I don't know that Kerwin is as natural a passer as Swiderski is, if, if Swiderski is, you know, favored on that right wing. But he's a more willing dribbler. He's more willing tracking back defensively he's more willing to you know connect in smaller spaces and so when you put all of it together i don't see a situation where where you know kerwin vargas still has lots of his his game that needs to improve but i think kerwin vargas is also at the point where for him to improve he needs actual match minutes Uh, again he needs that opportunity to get the start on the right wing um, and personally, I would prefer him to start in the right wing uh, uh, for the next stretch. Uh, I'm going to go one step forward with Josh, or maybe one step simpler. And that is, Kerwin Vargas can take it to the end line. And Kerwin Vargas can dribble. And I do not necessarily see that out of Carroll. Mm-hmm. I think Carroll on that right wing has one option. He has to cut it back onto his left foot and throw in a cross on his left foot. And it's going to take people about 48 seconds to figure out that's his only option. Josh thoughts on that. 
Yes, agreed on all points. Um, I thought the, aside from the assist, which is a beautiful ball from Carroll, I thought it was a disaster on the wing. I, I just, I did not see it working. Um, I am quickly, and again, I am, if not the head of the Mackenzie Gaines uh, <laughs> fandom, I am co-chair along with some other people. Um, but I said at the beginning of the year after his first appearance against New England, if that was the new norm for Kerwin Vargas, he has to, he has to start. And after the St. Louis game, things felt crisper. They felt quicker. Um, they felt more dangerous when he came on the pitch. Um, and we'll talk about, you know, Nuno's effect with that as well. But it is quickly becoming apparent that he has something and that it feels like he's made a significant and tangible leap from last year um, over the offseason, whatever it is that he did. I think you might still have one or two games before he gets the start. I don't know. Latanzio is such a wild card, I feel like, with his lineups that you never really truly know. I, my gut says it's like one or two more games before he gets the start, but it's coming and and it feels like he might not let it go once it once it gets once he gets it. Yeah, he he looks determined. I, I'm going to go over to you, Justin, because I, I think Carol does one really, really good thing in this game and it leads to our only goal. You want to walk us through this one real quick? Yeah, I mean, it, you're right. It is a gorgeous pass because Carol's out near the touchline. And and this is a long cross that he's got to send uh, quite a distance with just the right pace, just the right height. And, I mean, nobody was touching this except for Enzo Capetti. And Capetti does a brilliant job, too, because, you know, if there is a criticism on Carroll's cross, it's a scotchy high. But Capetti has a great leap and gets just enough to redirect this inside the post. And... You know, for all of those who have hated on our, our DP signings uh, and everything like that, this is all set up by an amazing run through the midfield that I think draws the defense away from Carroll and, and buys him the space to take the touches that he needs to put this cross in from Kamil Yuzwiak. And and Yuzwiak was uh, absolutely brilliant for me in this match. He was all over the place, and this was uh, his... His crowning moment, I think, because this run slaloms through players and, and like I said, draws in everybody uh, on St. Louis and, and buys that space out wide for, for Carroll. It was moment of brilliance. It was the first goal in this match. Uh, it was the first goal ever in City Park in St. Louis, which we'll always have. Uh, they can never take that away from us, at least. Um, and, and it's great to see the three DPs combine that way. Yeah, it is really good to see it all come together there. Um, I am going to take host privilege on the Tuiloma goal um, because there's something I want to say about it that I didn't see first watch. And that is that uh, it's defended really, really well. And <laughs> I know that's hysterical to say, considering the fact that our own defender then heads the ball over our keeper and into the net. But when I first watched it in, in live time, I was not particularly happy. I think that's fair to say. <laughs> um, and when I watched the replays as they were coming up on screen, I was like, where's the space coming from? Why is this so easy? And if you look at what actually happens in that play, Brant Bronico is in a good position. He is leaving a little bit more space to that player than I would like, but Brant has been running with this guy 
in out of Brant's outside of Brant's regular position this whole game. So Brant is giving him maybe a half step more than I would like. And I'm being generous with a half step like Brant. He's not in position to dive in immediately, but he's by no means leaving no pressure on this guy. And so Brant gives him maybe just a half step. And I looked back to the lines and there are actually two banks of really well set up defenders. I mean, space is held. Everyone is in the right place. And the truth is a really actually not that great ball because, well, I guess it was good because it went towards one of their players, but a well-struck ball from the outside is mistimed and there is no way it is going in unless our player hits it in. If you go back and you watch that goal, there's no attack there. There's nothing is on. Everyone is covered. All the space is closed down. There's no one on the front post to cause threat, which is where I saw the big glaring hole at first. It's really well defended with one glaring problem, and that glaring problem is jumping too early from Bill to Iloma. And I thought it was important to put that out there because I think the defense is somewhat rightfully going to come in for a lot of criticism here. And I think it's important to note that the process was good. The moment was bad, but the process was good. And that gave me a little bit more hope and maybe helped reduce my panic meter just a little bit. Uh, We do give away a penalty. Josh, do you want to talk about the handball? Sure. Yeah. So it it comes about um, St. Louis. I believe it's Lowen, their their number 10, who plays a, a pretty good ball down left-hand side. I'm not quite sure what St. Louis player gets on the end of it. Um, Byrne actually has a chance to take the ball off of the St. Louis player, and he doesn't. Similarly, I think, to the to the Tuoloma own goal, when you look back at it, there isn't a lot that's going wrong defensively. Players are running back. Um, St. Louis players are, are being covered, or, or at least seemingly covered. And even Swiderski, I think, for a striker-turned-attacking-midfielder-turned-right-wing is doing what you want, which is tracking back and, and trying to to be in a good defensive position. Um, Byrne, unfortunately, can't get the tackle in. The ball, he almost does, but the ball finds its way back to the St. Louis player. He puts it in, and Carroll does this weird little jump. I don't think that there's any intent for him to hit the ball with his hand um i maybe st louis fans think there are i haven't seen any of that i think that this is an accidental thing it does come off the hand it's something that we're seeing across all leagues being given nowadays as a handball um when i look at it i think that this is carol trying his best and unfortunately not being successful in it again bad luck really yeah, I'm going to weigh in really quick. I think it's given because Carroll jumps in the direction of the ball flight and happens to have his hand out. The statement here is the direction of the ball flight is where you would block the goal with your body, and Carroll just happens to have his hand out. I think the reason it's given is it, it looks like he's jumping into the way with his hand out, and really he's just jumping with his momentum. Uh, I'll go over to you, Justin. Uh, do you want to finish this off with the... Uh, spectacular back pass from Adelson Molanda. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't, I, I honestly don't know what Melanda thought he saw there. The the St. Louis kit is not subtle. It does not blend into <laughs> the grass. Uh, Joao Klaus is not a small guy. He does not blend into the grass, but uh, Cisniega plays the ball out. This is standard, you know, build up play stuff. He plays it out to Melanda, who immediately touches it back towards Cisniega. And just, I guess, misses that jaw Klaus is right there. And Klaus pounces, uh, and, and you know, Cisniega at that point is in no man's land and, and gets chipped, but there's nothing he can do. Um, like the handball, like the own goal, this is not something that's going to happen to us again. Adilson Melanda is too good a player. You know, Logan, you mentioned it in the post. Uh, Taylor Twelman couldn't stop gushing about uh, how good Melanda is uh, in the broadcast. Kept mispronouncing Melanda's name, but couldn't help but gush about how good he is. What, what were they saying? Melanda? Melanda. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're making the middle A real long. It was uh, grating, but nice to see him get recognized that way. Um, it's not something that's going to happen again. This isn't a, a repeatable thing unless apparently St. Louis has some kind of hex on the rest of the league that they're going to get back passes from every other team, uh, every other game. Whoa, 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 whoa. Do do not put voodoo past St. Louis. I, I'm not uh, I'm not the one putting it out there. It has already been discussed ad nauseum in the MLS space how, <laughs> you know, apparently this is the welcome gift St. Louis gets. Uh, is uh, a handed uh, a back pass handed to a striker every match. Hey, it's it's common knowledge at this point. Number one place for voodoo, obviously New Orleans. Second place, second most well known for for voodoo, clearly St. Louis. So St. Louis, Missouri, hotbed of magic. Yeah, you guys draw your own conclusions, but the facts are the facts. Um, we are going to go into really quick. We're going to talk about the referees and. As a general rule, I don't like to talk referees, but I have been convinced there's a couple of things that are worth pointing out. One of which irks me the wrong way. And that is, I do not think that refereeing has caught up to the modern game. There is this, it's not a new phenomenon. It's been going on a long time, which genuinely amazes me that referees have not found some sort of acknowledgement of it at this point but there is this sensation that referees aren't supposed to ruin the game by giving out cards too early right and in my opinion that's crap that's dumb it's pointless it's uh forgive me we do have five subs in the mls now right <laughs> yep yeah yep. so we now have the modern five sub rules it's not like we're in the days of, oh, if you give an early yellow card and then there's two injuries on the field, somebody's going to have to play without a player, right? We have five subs now. Give the yellow card. A yellow card worthy foul is a yellow card worthy foul, whether it happens in the first 20 seconds or the last 20 seconds. And St. Louis came out and hit us and they hit us hard. I would say there were probably three tackles inside of the first 10 minutes that set the stage for this game and weren't penalized. I think if any of those tackles happen in the 56th minute, all of them are yellow cards. I really feel 
the refereeing across the leagues, it's, this is not just MLS, needs to catch up because we have five subs now. If somebody goes in and gets an early yellow card, their coach has the right to go, you know what? You were dumb. You're out. Bobby Mankiewicz or whatever, whoever wants to go in, you're in now. And maybe that guy isn't as good as the starter who was in there, but that's the starter's fault for going in with a dangerous tackle. I don't understand how this is still a thing. Well, we have the number of subs now. You're not ruining the game. You're enforcing the game. And that bothers me. I think I've got it off my chest. Justin, do you want to weigh in on this or do you want to go to the the whole Capetti thing? No, I mean, I don't think there's much more to say on it. Uh, you know, I agree with you. I think that, uh, and and Taylor Twellman even said in the broadcast that St. Louis and, and Cal, their coach, they set up, or Carnell, their coach, sorry. They set up to come out and hit you. They, they set to come, you know, they're, they're here to come out and come in and, and try and crunch you up a little bit. And the way you stop that, because it's dangerous for players, is you book players who do that. Yeah. And you book um, them as soon as it happens. Yeah. And, and you, you have to, like, if, if you are going to spend time trying to enforce these rules, it, persistent infringement has to end up with you know, a booking as well. And one of the issues that I had with Ted Uncle, the, the official for this one, was at two different occasions, the game ground to a halt so that he could yank Enzo Capetti and uh, it was one of the center backs from, um, or no, sorry, it was Blum, the midfielder from, from St. Louis, uh, during corners and remind them to not do what players at every corner in every league do which is bump into each other and vie for space. And the game absolutely ground to a halt, and at no point was there a booking for either player, despite apparently persistent infringement about this. Um, it's just, it is a bad look. It's a bad way to officiate a match. It's a bad way to, to you know, you're just sort of ruining the flow uh, of everything. Um and coupled with the the issue around the early tackles that were dangerous, the early tackles that, that were at the ankle uh, late and from behind, um, I don't think that this match should have ended with Charlotte getting, I think, five yellows and St. Louis only getting three. Yeah, um, this is definitely one in which I, I don't think the major calls were wrong, but I do think a lot of the the early calls were quite questionable and definitely could have been handled better. Uh, that's all we're going to do. We're not going to, we're not going to stay on the referees too long because the referees are bad, um, <laughs> but they also have a very hard job. So uh, we're going to move it on to talking about what comes next because uh, we need points. So we're on to Atlanta. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go to you, Josh. Tell me how Charlotte FC is definitely going to take points from Atlanta at home. Well, I'm going to go ahead and step out because um, I'm not <laughs> sure that I can quite do that. No, no. You, um, you heard the tone in my voice that was that was encouraging you to tell me that we yes, are going to slaughter yes. Atlanta. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, oh, good. Listen, uh, I think we might be seeing good Atlanta again. Um, they were not very good last year. That was a combination of some underperforming players, some injuries to key players. Um, I think they had like 
three guys tear Achilles last year or something like that. Um, and then they had Joseph Martinez, who is no longer the Joseph Martinez that terrorized this league. Um, this team is now built around Tiago Almada, the young Argentinian, who I do want to just say, if we can take a step back and realize that this guy made the World Cup on Argentina, World Cup winners Argentina, he only got like, I don't know, 10 minutes or something in one game. But the fact of the matter is a guy from MLS made that squad and played in a game. Um, that tells you all you need to know about his level of talent. Um, he is going to be and needs to be the focal point of this game. This is a guy who had six goals, seven assists last year. He already has two goals this year, two goals which single-handedly won a game. He he tied Saint San Jose in their first game in the 93rd minute and then won it on a free kick in the 99th minute. Um, this is a kid who oozes talent, and if I were a betting man, I would say come summer, he is no longer with Atlanta United. Um, so they should probably enjoy them why they have him. Uh, that that's not super positive from you. <laughs> no, no, it's not. And that's just one player to be to be completely honest. I, I haven't even started talking about the fact that they play a four, two, three, one, um, and their double pivots are basically tailor made for each other. Uh, Franco Ibarra, uh, Ibarra is a bulldog who destroys everything in his path his defensive numbers are off the charts meanwhile Rosetto, who is his partner is okay defensively but can pass like the best in mls and can carry the ball um when we talk about balance in a side they are an exemplar they are someone where you can point to at least on paper and say this is how you build a midfield partnership where you have a guy who does something or multiple things really well, but others not so well. And you pair him with a guy who is his opposite. And they have done that. They Atlanta likes to dominate possession of the ball. They like to get their attackers into good positions. Um, this is this is a real challenge. I know some people are excited because it's early in the year and they don't have some key players or some players are coming back from injury. This is still going to be a challenge for this squad, uh, even though we are at home against them. Okay, I'm gonna make you be positive. I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> yes. force. Yes, I'm gonna force at least one positive statement. If we have a chance to take it to these guys, where do you feel like the goods come from? Um, I think we have to be really good on the counter. And um, on the bright side, our our lone goal this year has come from a very good move on the counter against St. Louis. Um, because I do think that Atlanta is gonna outpossess us. I think that their ball possessors are better than Charlotte's. And I think we are going to need Enzo Capetti, Karol Swiderski, Juzwiak, Westwood, um, whoever might else might be starting to, when we, win the when we win the ball, being very quick and decisive with where we want to go. They do love to get their fullbacks um, up the pitch. Brooks Lennon is on the right. Andrew Gutman is on the left. Uh, these are the type of fullbacks that, Charlotte fans, quite frankly, want the guys who just bomb up the sidelines. So there can be space left behind them if you can win the ball and you can be smart about where you're going. Um, I, I think that there are opportunities out there, but this is a team that also in their first two games has not been starting their designated player striker who they just acquired 
or Etienne, who was their big offseason signing from Columbus. Um, there's more to come from this team, I think, in Atlanta. Um, they're not invincible, but we are going to have to score, I think, multiple goals in order to win. So, But, but Brad Guzon's old, right? Brad Guzon is old, um, and I think <laughs> he is... And he's also backed up by an equally geriatric goalkeeper who's like 36. Um, so they are very old at goalkeeper. The problem is I think Guzan is still a average, maybe slightly below average MLS keeper. He's not terrible. He's not the worst that we're going to face. And I think he is vulnerable and you can get some shots by him. Um, the big question I have is, can we sustain the pressure that Atlanta will bring and be smart enough with our counters and when we have those moments of possession because Latanzio wants us to have possession so I do think we will have periods of this game where we do control the ball and the question is can we make the most out of that because if there is a weakness it is the fact that they're playing two fullbacks to attack Brooks Lennon is a winger playing fullback um, their center backs are, are, are decent. Miles Robinson, though, is coming back from injury himself. So there is some weakness back there. It's just a matter of can we put the pieces together smartly like we did on that Capetti goal? Um, and again, I think we're going to have to do it multiple times. So I, I might be setting up a softball pitch to a major league hitter in this particular situation. But it sounds like you're telling me that there's going to be space on the wings that we could potentially exploit in rapid high-speed transitions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Are you trying to tell me that this might be a game in which one Mackenzie Gaines could be an option? Yes, but, and I can't believe I'm saying this, I don't know that he's our best option. <laughs> Um, uh, everyone stop it's done yeah. <laughs> we we have seen we have seen the future um josh did not put Mackenzie Gaines as his starting right winger we're, we're not even gonna ask any more questions you're done that's the preview okay um <laughs> we love you josh look, <laughs> look i i have a strategy for us to win this game and that's to just win a lot of corners because Last season, we scored direct from a corner. This is the, against Atlanta here in Charlotte was the Olympico game. That's true. Uh, so let's just do that to Brad Guzan again. I, I will say that is the that is actually the one. This is the dichotomy of uh, of Atlanta. Their center backs are OK in the air. They're above average, but they're not dominant aerial threats. Guzan, though, if there's one area he is still really, really strong, it is stopping crosses. Oh, good. <laughs> which should which should give us a I, I lot thought... of encouragement because we've been really dangerous from from crossing positions this season so far. <laughs> I I thought you were gonna make that like something positive. Uh, no, no. Uh, yeah, we're we're gonna move on. We are gonna go into a new segment, and that is we get so jealous of Josh because he does all this research and he knows all these things about other teams, and and we want to give you something to look forward to as well. So Justin and I are going to start rotating. And we are going to talk about the thing that we are looking at. So you hear about what, we, what we're thinking about after the results. But we don't often talk to you and say, here is what's on our notepad when we go into the next game, right? So 
for this one, I'm going to give you my look ahead, my, my thing that I will be uh, observing very closely, both for this game and for games further on down the line. And I don't think this one is going to be a huge surprise to a lot of people, but Kamal Yuzhriak is on my list. He needs a goal. That is not surprising. That is not new. But what I need to see is not necessarily him score. What I need to see is him getting in scoring positions. And Justin put this forward earlier. If I see him getting in positions where he's creating like 2.6 expected assists per game, and he's only getting like 0.3 expected goals per game, but he's getting one shot off from a decent position, I'm fine with that. We need our front three to succeed. We need our front three to score. We need our front three to create and finish chances. There's a really good saying in football, and that is you're only as good as your forwards. Everyone else on the team sets you up to be as good as your attacking players, right? No matter how good of a defense you have, they will not score you goals. Well, depending on, you know, set pieces, stuff like that. But you are as good as your forwards. Kamal Yuzhwiak has everything. He has the touch. He has the speed. He has the interplay with other players. I want to see that next piece. I want to see him making the final ball. And I want to see him getting into space in order to take shots. I don't want to see him defer that to someone else. I don't want to see him go, eh, maybe that's not my run to make. I want to see uh, now that I'm regularly seeing that really high level of touch and play from him. Now I'm ready to see the final piece. And I think it needs to start coming soon. Uh, Justin thoughts on, on that statement. No, I mean, I, I think that it will continue to, I think that we talked about it in our preseason stuff. I think Kamil is coming good this season. Uh, I've been really pleased with him from the first two matches, and I really hope that he can, uh, uh, you know, get those goal contributions in this one. Because it sounds like from what Josh is saying, we're going to need him. Yep. Let's just score all the goals. We'll just be good and win games. That's that's the way to win football. Uh, and on that uh, really just brilliant coaching thought, <laughs> uh, we will talk to you again after we go and definitely take our first three points from Atlanta. Goodbye. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com.